This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is the incredible Terry Broussard-Williams. Terry is an executive, author, keynote speaker, lobbyist, philanthropist, and social impact strategist. She's the best-selling author of Find Your Fire and movement maker behind The Great Me Set. She's spoken at Fortune 500 companies to inspire teams and create change, served as a mission ambassador for large nonprofits, and has traveled internationally to tell her story. I first got connected with Terry because we share a mutual friend in Joy Egg And I started following Terry's work and immediately just fell in love with her. She had a TEDx that she did back in the fall, I think, called The Great Me Set. And it is just a really powerful story. And I knew I wanted to have her on the show. She's incredible. She's in, uh, just one of those people that you're, ra- you're around her and you just feel more joyful. She just lights up the room. You're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Terry Broussard-Williams. Terry, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, Molly. I'm so excited to be here with you today. We have our our mutual friend of Joy Egg Retreat in common, uh, which I was just saying before we recorded, like when you have Joy in common as a friend or a colleague, it just automatically automatically vets you. And so I just know um, this is going to be a lot of fun. And so let's dive right in. And I'm going to have you give us the Terry 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Awesome sauce. Well, I am Terry Broussard-Williams. And by day, I am a lobbyist and have been lobbying for the last 20 years. It's my second career. I got started in journalism um, and news media. And I'll explain that through line in a little bit. But the last five years, I have truly been working hard to bring my passion and what I know to be my calling to life. And so I got started about five years ago with a blog called Movement Maker Collective, and that morphed into a book in 2020. The book is called Find Your Fire, and it's all about how you can use stories, tools, and strategies to ignite the change maker in you. And so it encourages people to start movements for social good. So that's just a little bit about who I am, and I'm happy to share with you that through line that I mentioned. So I got started working in television at the age of 16. Literally, I would wow. get, checked out, yeah, get checked out of school twice a week, have my own photographer and a mic, and I'd go and interview um, adults because I, you know, then I was just a kid, got to interview some cool people like then Louisiana State Attorney General Richard Ayub, among others. And I just really felt empowered because I was getting data and information from people and then distilling that into the story that someone could digest. And hopefully they would take that information and use it to better their communities or themselves. And so, you know, I've worked in three different 
TV stations. I was a press secretary. I've worked at nonprofits and I've been lobbying for 20 years, like I mentioned. But that still remains the same in each of those scenarios, getting information and sharing it with others and hopefully inspiring them to take action. I love hearing stories like that when you started doing something really young that you thought like maybe it was going to go one direction, but then ended up taking you a completely different direction than maybe you had originally uh, kind of suspected. But it's I'm curious. It's the same, right? I know. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I'm curious because I, I, you know, I've in the hundreds of people that I've interviewed on this show and so many of them kind of come from the social impact space, the social entrepreneurship space, the social justice space. And one of the common threads that I see in almost, I would say, I don't think that there really is actually maybe less than 99.99%. Like, I mean, you're just like, in almost every single case, there is this indication of that this started at a really young age. Was there a time as a kid, like, or did you grow up in a home where your parents were really encouraging you and inspiring you? Or was there, were you like the kid who, you know, like lobbied as a kid or did you start neighborhood petitions, things like that? I'm just curious, like at what age did you, or was there something that led you down this path of really being outwardly focused on how can I personally use my life to make an impact on others around me? Yeah, it's such a great question. I um, I tell everyone that it's in my DNA. You know, in my book, Find Your Fire, I share the definition of what I call a fire starter. And a fire starter is someone that sees things that others ignore, but they take action. They take the first steps to do something that will make the world a better place or sometimes even themselves, because that's really important when we do this work. And so I was blessed to have four grandparents that that I learned faith and fortitude from. So I define faith as being a part of something bigger than me. Like I know the work I do is not for me. Mm-hmm. It's for the people that I'll never meet and never know. And fortitude, there's, there's always a way, Molly. Like we create these constructs and obstacles and structures to, to tell ourselves we can't do something, but there's always a way. We just have to believe it and know that we will find it. And so I learned faith and fortitude from my grandparents. My mother's parents in particular, they, I'm Catholic. I'm from Southwest Louisiana and Um, I identify as an African-American and literally it has the highest concentration of Catholics in the country and not that particular small parish in Louisiana. But, you know, this this example I'm going to give is about church, but but truly it's about any structure, any four walls, anything. But my grandparents would, would see people walking to mass. And in Louisiana, like we go to church before a football game on Saturday. But we also go to mass before a hurricane. Like, (laughs) you know, you fill your bathtub with water in case you lose power and water and you go see Jesus, right? But my grandparents, you know, they knew that they had like great fortune. They had a car. Now they were sharecroppers. You know, they worked by day in schools as a janitor in a cafeteria. By night, they had a business that that cleaned offices. So they they hustled for what they had. Mm. They had a car and they were fortunate. There were so many families, you know, 50 years ago in Lafayette, Louisiana, that didn't. So they decided, along with a group of their friends, to build a church in their neighborhood. Mm. And the church is called Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Church. And uh, it became this beautiful, like, center of the community and a place where, where people fellowship. My parents got married there. I was baptized there, you know, 
first communion, all the things. And then about 10 years ago, the church burned down Mm. completely, completely burned down. And my parents then raised their hands and said, if not us, then who? They became that next generation of fire starters. And my mom was, you know, head volunteer. She got everyone to do all the things. She's, she, she's a, was a former principal. So she put <laughs> yeah. on that principal's hat and got to work. Yes, yeah, she, she dad, got this under wraps. <laughs> oh, yeah. As they say, she could do all the things. Yeah. But my, my dad, who was retired at the time, took over as like the capital campaign coordinator. He oversaw the budget, all the things. And, you know, when I look back at that one building, every single person that I love and every single person that has known me my entire life has sat on those pews, walked through those doors of that church. And so there's this one, one particular day, and it, it really does answer your question. It has been a long answer. No, I love this. But, you know, I sat in that church with my mom on one side, my grandmother on the other, and I looked at the altar and my, my family was known for always having festivities at our, our homes, either my grandparents' homes or my parents' homes. And priests would come, and now I'm going to spill some tea. They would come on Fridays. My mom would cook. They'd <laughs> play cards. My dad would pour Crown Royal. But it was just this beautiful moment. And so many of those priests gathered in May of 2017. And I'll never forget it. There was five priests of different ages different languages, different parts of the world who all served that church. And they were there to celebrate. They were there to celebrate a homegoing mass of my father. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his funeral. And it was just months after the doors of those church doors open. You know, so I say leaders turn moments into movements. And there's no better way to describe that movement that was started by my grandparents and continued by my parents. But again, the movements we create, they're not for us. They're for the people that we'll never meet or know. And so today there are, you know, babies being baptized in that church that my father helped build and he, he never got to meet them. I love that story so much. So please like, don't ever apologize. Like this is a long story. No, I love it so much. Uh, I give me more Uh, because I, I am so encouraged. And I think stories like that, where we hear about the ripple effects of things and, um, I love the story of, do you know what like the butterfly effect is? It's like this, I mean, there's the movie, but I think it's the whole concept of the butterfly effect being that the, you know, one flap of a butterfly's wings like creates enough of a change in the wind that like if a butterfly flapped its wings in Texas, then there could be, you know, a tornado in Arizona or something. I can't remember exactly the, the details, but it's just this idea that like little tiny things can create big impact and big ripple effects. Or even if you just truly you drop a pebble in the middle of a pond and the way it you know, sends the ripples out throughout the water. Or, you know, I'm always fascinated by when there's there's an earthquake underneath of the ocean that we can't even see, but then it creates a tsunami somewhere else. And it's like this just massive impact. And so I'm always fascinated by the stories of people who see outside of their own kind of immediate circle and they see a bigger picture or they see the opportunity for lasting impact beyond themselves. And they create that, that, uh, that legacy. And what a powerful testimony of the impact your grandparents had on their community, on your parents, 
on your life and then how what the work that you're doing then goes generations after that, you know, it just all started when, you know, like you were kind of sharing, you know, 50 years ago in Lafayette, Louisiana, like your grandparents could have had used any excuse to, to not hustle and to not work hard and to not, to not start a church. I mean, I'm in the, I'm a, I'm a church planter. So, uh, I know the challenges, <laughs> it's like, a, well, but, but a little bit of uh, understanding of how difficult that is, but they could have used any of those excuses and just been like, oh, life's too hard or, or whatever. But instead they were like, no, 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 we see something beyond ourselves and just what an incredible impact. Um, anyway, I, oh, I loved that so much. So that obviously had a lasting impact on you and you, you know, worked in news media for a while and, but then, you know, you you began this kind of life of public and community service. What started that for you? Was there something that was like a light switch or was it more of a gradual change? And and where did you even begin uh, to begin to to go outside of yourself and to do this as a as a living? Yeah, I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I truly believe when we were doing what we're called to do and you know, actually, I, I, I will tell you, I, I'm going through this evolution right now. And for the longest time, I would see myself as, you know, a journalist, as an author, as a lobbyist. But what I'm really understanding is I'm a storyteller and an activator and a doer. And when you get rid of those titles and professions that we've given, to really create boxes for, for all of us, right, to begin. Because I do think it's fair that if we didn't have this construct or, or just boxes, how would we know what we want to be when we grow up? But for me, truly, it was always this pull to how can I tell stories? How can I like share those stories to empower others? How can I give someone else the mic so that they can advocate for themselves mm. or others? You know, and I didn't quite understand that at 16, right? But I always did it. And so some might see my, my career trajectory and, and think like there's, I've done all these things, but truly everything is layered onto the next thing. And it's allowed me to amplify the work to have greater impact. And, and so when I think of it that way, I get excited because I don't know what's ahead, mm-hmm. and, but I do know that I'm ready and I know that I'm willing to serve and serve at the highest vibration for the highest amount of people and the highest good. And so when I think about it that way, you know, I I know that whatever I do will be right for me and will allow me to honor, you know, that that calling to create change. Yeah. I'm always fascinated too by the and kind of I alluded to at the beginning is like the trajectory that people go on in their lives and how sometimes where we end up, we look back at the road of how we got there and it's this very just non-linear, like up, down, around, kind of maybe you make a U-turn for a little bit and then go, you know. I'm like, make it make sense. Or make it know? make I sense. From college in three years. Yeah. Got a master's in 10 months. Like I'm a planner. Right. But I'm like, I would have never expected it to be where I am today. Right. And I could be Barbara Walters. I know, I right? Right, now. right. I know. Oh, Barbara. But yeah, and, and then it's like, but then when you get there and you look back at those different experiences and you think, oh, well, that's why I did that. That's why I went through that. And you get that, the benefit of hindsight, which, you know, in the moment can be really difficult because you're like, 
And especially if you go through challenges, um, which I want to get to in a moment, um, but you go through challenges where, where maybe you're facing an obstacle or you're facing something and you really think like, okay, God, why? Why right now? Like this is, which I've certainly gone through many of those seasons. I'm kind of going through one right now where you're just going, kind of going, all right, Lord, I don't really know what you're doing in this moment. And um, I would love more information. I realize that you're probably not going to give me more information, God, but... <laughs> you know, and then you you get a year down the road, five years down the road, and you go, ah, oh, that's why. That's why I went through that. So this makes me want to transition just a little bit because I um, had uh, just the opportunity to watch your TEDx talk, which I thought was fantastic. Oh. And I'm going to put it in a uh, link to it in the show notes. But I want to expand on it a little bit and, and have you tell this story because I think it's really powerful. And I think that there are so many people, especially post-pandemic, who can relate to this. And so, you know, you had been hustling. You had been working really hard. You'd been kind of at the top of your career game. And then you realized you got to a moment where you realized, uh, maybe this isn't all it's all it's cracked up to be. And then you had a setback. Uh, would you mind telling us that story? Sure. 2019 was really this pivotal time in my life. I say I, I truly had like a rebirth in 2019. And I'm not the same person today. Yeah. But, you know, I was truly doing I was team too much. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag team too much. I you know, was working at an international nonprofit and leading national strategy around government relations and advocacy. I was starting my book, Find Your Fire. You know, I went back to school later in life because I, I went straight to the newsroom post-college um, and was working on an accelerated master's at an Ivy League. I was on like two dozen nonprofit boards doing all the things for everyone. And I, I say I was literally doing it being everything to everyone else and nothing to myself. Mm. I couldn't just not relax. And I would drive home every day and call my mother. And one, one day I told her, I was like, mom, I keep hearing these car crashes. Like mm. and my, at the time, my brother was traveling back and forth about an hour to go to work over a bridge. And I was like, tell my brother like to slow down, be careful. Don't drive too sleepy. Like I was just convinced like there was this car crash. And, but I, I did definitely had a knowing and my mom was like, you know, Terry, you need to calm down. You need to have, just rest. You, you're doing too much. And why are you calling me and driving, talking about car crashes? Don't call and drive. And she's like, it's not on your time. It's on his time. And I was like, God, I'm, mom, I've already made it God. This was <laughs> September. I was like, I told him if he can get me through graduation in May, I'm going to quit all the things. I'm going to rest. And my mom just laughed, you know, and two or three weeks later, I was lobbying in Washington, D.C. And it was actually one day I will tell the story of the most it was the most intense week I've ever had at work. And I was lobbying something that was truly significant in our, our country's history. And I was with friends, but many of them were part of the then presidential administration. One was, you know, a, a city council member. And all of a sudden there's just boom, a crash. And literally someone had picked up a, like a love seat, a sofa, like a piece of furniture because they thought their mobile phone was underneath it. And on the way down, it, it hit me in the center of my head. Oh my goodness. And yeah. It's so crazy. Literally like, and I tell everyone, 
you know, I, I had a major concussion, but I went from the sofa hitting me on the center of my head to having to be home. I couldn't work. I couldn't use a phone. You know, couldn't work on my book, couldn't work on my schoolwork. I had a, I literally parked myself in the center of my couch at home, ironically, couch again. But that was where I found the center of my life. Mm. And, you know, I laughed because it was September 2019. So finally, when I got going again, you know, starting to feel like myself having energy, my first big trip out of the house was March of 2020. Oh, isn't that fun? And then that weekend, we began lockdown. So I tell everyone, you know, I've always been um, an early adopter and yeah. an overachiever. <laughs> so I got my pandemic practice on before all of you. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone was saying towards the end of the pandemic, this is a reset for the world. But I truly had that entire period to rest before the pandemic. So I was resting my head and my body to heal. And then during the pandemic, I began to become still, like just taking walks during the middle of the workday, you know, yeah. taking walks at the end of the workday, having happy hour on the, the, you know, outside on the porch with my neighbors, just chilling on Saturday morning instead of running to get a blowout and meditating with friends over Zoom. And that was when I learned grace. And I just got this deeper appreciation for, for time for myself. And so, I, you know, I say everyone's worried about the reset of the world, but I had what I now call the great reset. Mm -hmm. I'll never view the world the same. You know, I will always prioritize on my calendar and in my life, the things that I value most and the things that I hope to, to do and are tied to this legacy of leaving the world in a much better place. So, um, I love that so much for me. And we don't say that enough because when I now look back and I think of all the tools I had in my overachiever box, they still serve me today. They serve me in a different way because now I'm truly focused on just being present and, and being instead of doing. Yeah. I think that's, a, I, I think a lot of people would relate to that of and and not to say that it's not still a rampant thing is this overachieving this we have to do it all this hustle culture but i do think that there for a lot of people i mean yours obviously started pre-pandemic but for a lot of people the pandemic kind of did that i mean we saw more and more people leaving their jobs to be able to start to start businesses because they were like you know what life's too short and i this is a thing yeah, that i wanted yellow. to do right yellow <laughs> like you know and you want to do the thing that you've always wanted to do or they're saying no to more things so that they can say yes to the better things exactly. and that's really hard but we do i mean we all need those resets in every area of our life i mean if you're a parent, having those resets with your kids. I mean, I remember my mom um, who passed away in 2002. But when I was growing up, like something that I've carried with me forever. And in fact, I said it this morning um, is my my mom would often say like if I was having a bad day or if she was having a bad day or something, she would say, you know, you can start your day over at any time. Like just reset your day. Oh, and yeah, and I've carried it with me forever. And just even this morning, like my kids get on the bus real early, like the, they go out to the bus stop, which is at the end of our driveway at about like 645, 650 in the morning. So it's it's early. And my kids are seven and nine. And oftentimes the morning can just be hectic. I am not a morning person. My daughter is a morning person. My son 
it, it can go one way or the other. Like some days my son is definitely a morning person. And then other days he's like me. <laughs> so I like just this morning, I came out and my kids are fighting and they're arguing over, you know, who grabbed whose water bottle. And, you know, if somebody's, <laughs> I mean, it just was like, I don't even know. It was just arguing over anything. And finally, I, I'm just waking up. I'm all cranky and I snapped at them and they're snapping at each other. And I was like, okay, everyone, we're going to start our day over right now. And I realize that's a silly example, but it's, it's this idea on a bigger scale of sometimes on those little moments where we're just like, you know what, we're going to reset the day right now. Or in the bigger moments going, you know what, I need a reset. I need to reset my marriage. I need to reset in my parenting. I need to re reset in my finances. My husband and I just finished our in March, we do a low dough March where we basically spend as little money as possible. Um, oh, that's to, so cute. Yeah, to kind of like hit a reset on our finances of what are we spending our money on? Are we just like, you know, aimlessly buying things on Amazon? Or are we like just going to the store and, and you know, like buying things from the, from the grocery store we don't actually need because I've gone to the grocery store yeah, and I'm hungry. We and don't I'm like, think about it. Right. We're in that mode of just doing. And just doing. Cool. Yeah. And so we, we you know, we, we just hit reset on our finances. Sometimes you need to do that in your health journey, like, or in your diet, or, you know, some people do Whole30, and I try to help them explain, like, Whole30 is not a diet. It's just a reset for your body to figure out what doesn't do well. So anyway, all of those things to say is that we all need that, and we all have those moments. And I, I think that's really encouraging and inspiring, and I think is God-given, too, because, I mean, you, you mm. see even, like, in the scriptures, you see Jesus, like when things would get real crazy, what did he do? He would go off by himself to go pray. Like he needed oh a reset. Gosh. I, you know, I really needed to hear that because I have never thought about it in that context. But there, for me, there is definitely something about my alone time yeah. that just restores me. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, you, you're like making me, my, I'm like, my eyes are wearing, but <laughs> Lately, I've found myself at the end of a workday just sitting in bed listening to classical music. But I also, um, I believe in synchronicity and, you know, the universe, God, you're, you know, I have a lot of angels in heaven. They send you messages when you need them. And I, about, I guess the last month, about the last two weeks, I keep getting these messages about being still. And I, I think that they are related to me taking time alone to, to go through this next evolution of writing and planning and thinking about what is ahead. And so um, we're actually recording, for those of you listening, we are recording this the week of Easter Sunday. Um, so I, I, I think you mentioning that to me specifically and on this week is, is a beautiful reminder of once we take those rest at the end of a, a long struggle or a haul, that, that we are allowed to be reborn and experience that that beautiful, you know, rebirth. Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole reason that God commanded rest. I mean, what other God commands rest? Like God commands us to go, no, no, no. Six days, you can do the work. But on that Sabbath day, like just rest, just rest. And it's, it's that care and it's that intentionality. And I was, as I was listening to you speak to, I... I think I'm reminded, um, I was having a conversation with, with actually my daughter the other day and I was talking with her about how I was like, you know, cause she was like, she does not like to rest. She doesn't want to rest. She doesn't want to go to sleep at night when I'm like, it's time for bed. You know, she's just not into it. I said, honey, you know, 
why God calls us to rest is why he calls us to be still is sometimes like, I was like, I love music too. And I love doing things and hang out with friends. And I was like, but sometimes I just need like to chill. I get overstimulated. My brain is like, nope, can't handle anymore. And I said, you know, have you ever been trying to think of an idea or brainstorm something, or you're trying to write something? And I know you as a writer and as a creator that this has to be true for you too, Terry. And then you get in those moments where you're like, I can't think of anything. I just, your brain is just not, it's not, the synapses are not firing. Then (laughs) you go to bed and you turn the lights off and you close your eyes and you're laying on the pillow. And what happens? All the best ideas come to you. (laughs) And you're like, shower for me. Yeah. Or you're just like, why? Why right now? And then you, of course, for me, I have to get up then and I have to write them down because if I don't, guess what's going to happen? I'm not going to remember them in the morning. And uh, I said this to my daughter. She's like, yeah, absolutely. And I said that I bet you that that happens because that is when you are finally stilling yourself. Still, exactly. Exactly. Quiet. It's when you're finally quiet inside and out, right? Yeah. So it's it's the shower for me. Usually by the time I get to bed, I, ha- I have no more words. <laughs> extreme introvert. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with the words for the day. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's really powerful. And I really do believe it. it is, it is God ordained and God given is that is those resets. And I love how you called it kind of a me set and we need those things. And, uh, again, Absolutely. I think that's biblical. I really do. And yeah. um, so powerful. Um, so, what did you learn out of that? You know, you kind of came into this, this me set and you, you said, you know what, I think this is something that other people, I can inspire other people to do. What was, once you kind of had that benefit of hindsight, what did you do with it? Yeah. So you, you mentioned my TEDx. I, you know, wanted to describe what I felt and how I did it. And so that was why I did my TEDx talk on the great me set. But now I'm thinking of how do I take these, these stories and make them nuggets, sprinkles of inspiration. Because sometimes when we we think of the me set formula or we think of you hear the great me set, it feels so overwhelming. But truly, you know, all we need is a minute to have that reset, just to start the day over like your mother taught you and just return to self. And so actually you said that um, this will launch next week and on next Monday, I will begin something new that I will call the me set minute. And so if you follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the places um, where I share my content, I'll just give like a, a little tidbit, a little sprinkle of inspiration that's less than a minute that will begin to share how you can have a reset moment anytime. Um, so I'm excited about that. But but I do I do think that there's a rebirth happening for me. And you know, I I have started a book this year and I hope to finish it this year, but I just, I want to share these stories returning to, you know, I'm truly a storyteller at heart, but how do we take these moments to reset our moral compass, make sure that our head and our heart is in alignment for the things that we want to do every day. And how do we do that to be the best version of ourselves? So, you know, if you want to be the best mom in that moment, what me set moment can you have that will allow you to, to do that? You know, for me as a change maker, I need me set moments along the way. So I just don't get burned out or frazzled. Or I remember that I'm operating from a place of service and leadership. And, and that will, 
you know, give distance to my ego talking. And that doesn't mean that I'm an, an egotistical maniac because I, I hope that everyone would say that I'm not. But sometimes when we're just drained and tired, you know, we don't lead from that place of higher service. And that is ego talking when you're not leading from that place of, of you know, what will do the most good for, for the most amount of people. And so I, I truly just want to share those stories and be a catalyst for others to do the things that will make their hearts sing. Mm, so good. So good, Terry. Um, well, like I said, I'm going to have Terry's the link to her book, Find Your Fire Stories and Strategies to Inspire the Changemaker Inside You, and a link to her TEDx in the show notes, along with a link to Movement Maker Collective. But Terry, what is kind of on the horizon for you other than starting these um, me moments or yeah, me set moments? And uh, what's, you know, what's on the horizon? How can people stay connected with you? Sure. So I'll be launching the Me Set Minute on April the 10th. And you can get that at my YouTube channel. Or if you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can sign up at terrybwilliams.com, they'll be pushed out in an email um, as they are released. And I'm going to continue writing blog articles on you know, people that do good in the world, how you can create Me Set moments for your own life. And I'm going to be head down, you know, working on writing this, this next book and just continuing sharing these stories with corporate leaders through keynotes and, and different, different workshops. Um, but thank you so much. You are a, a leader that's turning moments into Aww, movements. Thank you. Just by creating, yeah, I know, but creating the space where people can share what's on their heart and just bringing back those moments of, you know, the greatest stories and lessons that we've learned, you know, that are tied to our faith. And for so many of us, that's fuel for our soul and what we need to keep going. So I see that little fire starter. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I try. I try. Um, well, this has been so great. Um, but before we go, I'm going to ask a couple of our final get to know you questions. So Terry, question number one is what is the last thing that made you laugh? Oh my gosh, this is a good one. So last Friday, uh, which was April the 4th, I went to the Taylor Swift concert. <gasps> you did? Oh, so fun. I was a Swifty for one night and just like dancing with my friends and looking at everyone being goofy. I told my best friend, I said, tonight I'm reliving all the Saturday night concerts I performed in my bathroom during the pandemic, (laughs) you know? So a little shake it off. I just laughed so hard, mostly at myself for like being so goofy and over the top. But it was a blast. I oh my gosh, I've had a couple of friends that have gone, and I am I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I I'm not I would not necessarily categorize myself as a Swifty, although I do really like a lot of her Same. music. But I'm like, I would but really when love. I, when I only you can do it. I know. Oh man, so good. So where which uh, show did you go to? I went to the first night in Dallas and I actually learned last night that this is the most expensive concert in the history of concerts. Oh, I believe it. It's stunning. It's so beautiful. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's like just a spectacle from start to finish and just amazing. It's gorgeous. And y'all, I came home with a t-shirt. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, if you go, you have to. I think it's just kind of like, I mean, I think it's a legal requirement. I love it. Okay. You need some Swifty souvenirs. So good. So good. Okay. Question number two is what is the last thing that made you cry? Oh, wow. Um, 
that was also this week. This April's April's going to be this month of transformation for me. But I recently had a, you know, I made a decision that was life changing for myself and someone else. And just sharing that decision and honoring my truth, I cried. And it, it what's so interesting and interesting might not be the right word, but what I'm learning is for so many people, you know, these types of decisions are heartbreaking or sad. And for me, it's just been like, I, I get this renewed sense of energy. And so I truly believe that those tears were just, you know, part of like almost this baptism and that it's definitely part of this rebirth. And so I also love for me that this is happening, you know, as part of the Easter season. And so I'm so excited that I have grown to this place of understanding that tears aren't always sad, that, that sometimes they just cleanse your soul and they make you feel so good. Yeah. I think I saw it was like a quote and I don't even know who the quote's by, but it's something like the things that are the most healing are made of salt water, like the ocean, sweat and tears. And so, yeah, sometimes you just need sometimes tears are a good thing. Um, And that's one of the things that I really try to help people understand, because, you know, I mean, I have this background in comedy like I. I love to laugh. I love to make people laugh. Um, But helping people understand that it is okay to be in the midst of like the tension of joy and grief and laughter and crying and, and, you know, sorrow and uh, just elation, like all of these things are okay. These emotions are created by God. And they're, you know, they're not bad. You know, it's just what you do with them, obviously, that can exactly. be the difference. But you can sit in those in those feelings, both good and bad. And, um, and you can learn a lot um, in them. So all right. And then my last question is, what brings you the most joy? Oh, just times with, with friends and family around food. I'm from Louisiana. We love to eat. We love to entertain. But, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, just hanging out with friends. I'm a French fry girl. Um, yes. Give me some French Same. fries with ketchup. I want to I add sugar to my ketchup. But... <laughs> And a glass of champagne. And it's like, I'm coming back, you know? Yeah, you're good. Or just vegging out with, you know, PJs and having popcorn with someone that you care about. Just those downtimes and the, just the, the moments of relaxation are what get me going. Um, so I, I truly love being around the people that I care about. Mm, so good, Terry. This has been so fun. Thank you for being here. And thanks for the work oh, you're doing. Thank you. You are so much fun. I hope you loved this conversation with Terry. I just think she's such a joy, such a bright light. Her smile is just beautiful and her heart is even more beautiful. I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Let us know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your social medias. And if you would head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, would you click that subscribe or follow button for the show and take a moment to leave us a review? That really does help the show to grow and just get more eyeballs on it. And I would just love it. Or maybe ears, you know, eyeballs, ears, you know what I'm getting at. I would be so grateful. Thanks to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And thank you for listening. Now, this week, I hope something makes you laugh till you cry. Bye.